watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at three movies. Beauty and the Beast, Raw, and Personal Shopper. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And uh, send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Speaking of the shortness of life. Speaking of things that make you realize how short life really is. Um, uh, I have a birthday coming up. Oh, you sure do. In two days. My birthday girl. That's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were kind of thinking about um, what were the movies that came out the year that you were born? Yeah, you guys might have seen this thing going around on Facebook right now. Everybody's picking the, the best movie from each of the years that they have been alive. Um, or each of the years that they have been born, as I awkwardly stated to Rebecca earlier <laughs> while suggesting <laughs> like, this. Oh, it's one of those reincarnation things. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's coming off of our ruin. Shirley MacLaine review. It's really been <laughs> up in my brain. Uh, so yeah, so Rebecca and I each picked three movies from the years we are born, and we will present we them to uh, you now. So my year uh, had kind of a lot going on. One fun fact that we discovered was that uh, in February, the week of uh, Valentine's Day, 1980, both Caligula and... Uh, <laughs> are you already laughing? Um, both Caligula and... What was the other Cruising. one? Cruising. <laughs> <laughs> Came out. So really a fine weekend for perversion at the cinema. It really was. Happy, Kicking the happy 80s off in high style. Exactly. Yeah, it was a new decade. It's really, a new... Know, it capped the 70s appropriately. It did. Um, so my three uh, top movies of the of that year, 1980, would be Ordinary People, which mm. I've been itching to see again, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, mm-hmm. um, The Shining, Oh yeah, uh, and Airplane. Uh, sure, three totally different and amazing movies. Please expand. Um, please expand what? How are they different? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I guess you want to make a case about it. I guess they're a little different. Uh, just a tiny bit different. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there were a lot of good movies that came out that year. <laughs> I mean, that they all three get me off is what didn't... I'm trying to say. <laughs> they're all but... erotic, uh, thrillers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, every time they punch those nuns, you really <laughs> need some private time. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Um, and those are three fine, fine, fine films. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you watch movies that remind you of those movies, do you think like, hmm, or do you think, oh, this is not as good as the original? Um, I mean, Airplane is one that had a lot of knockoffs, um, mm. some better than others. Uh, the Top Guns were, not Top Guns, the, uh, was it Top Shot? No. What was the name? <laughs> oh, the, the oh, um, Hot Shots. Hot Shots. Some of those <laughs> would, are pretty funny. Would you say Hot Guns? Hot Guns. <laughs> <laughs> top Shots? <laughs> <laughs> Those were pretty funny. Um, yes. Other than that, I mean, I guess you could say things that like Scary Movie came from those. Um, yeah. So those were great. And then yeah. there have been a lot well, of like... I think that some of the guys from... Well, then they went on to do like Naked Gun movies. Oh, and, right, and right. I think some of those guys actually end up doing the latter, the post-weigh-ins, the, the, the um, as Larry Wilmer would call the unblackened uh, Scary Movie movies. Oh, right. <laughs> once the weigh-ins brothers were shown the door. Yeah, I stopped watching them once the... Uh... You've always been a woman of principle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did appreciate the uh, um, the Shining TV version starring the guy from oh, Wings. Yeah. Oh, acting like you don't know his name. Brian Weber? Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber. He I was mean... Brian on, on Wings. Speaking of Wings, <laughs> there was a Deborah Winger movie. What, what, from did, ter- did Terms of Endearment come out in 80? Uh, not 80. No? Mm-mm. Okay. 
But um, yeah. So oh, I had one too. I had Officer and a Gentleman that came out my ear. Oh, that nice. Was, that was Winger at her wingiest. Yeah, that was peak Winger. Peak wings. Peak wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are yours? What was your year? Well, my year is 1982. Um, and so mine were Airplane 2. No, Airplane <laughs> 2 did come out in 1982. And I do love that movie. But my top three, uh, my number one, these are just alphabetical. Um, my number one is um, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Really? Yes. Okay. Directed by Robert Altman, mm-hmm. uh, starring one Miss Cher, <laughs> and also uh, Sandy Dennis, starring mm-hmm. um, Karen Black, starring a young and vivacious Kathy Bates. <laughs> uh, I saw this movie for the first time recently because it was out of print forever, and then it got a Blu-ray pre- uh, reissue, and it, oh my god, I love it. Um, so you bought it? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I bought I bought it sight unseen. <laughs> I, I just I just had a hunch. I just like looked at the description. I was like, oh, I'm gonna love this movie, and I did. And it's bold. It's a bold film, um, and uh, you know, it has because it has a, a, a trans character. Um, and it actually has like, and it's like a trans character. It's not like a cross-dresser mm-hmm. character. It's not, you know, and they don't have that language quite, but you know, that's kind right. of the whole idea. The person who's coming back to the five and dime is a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the, what year did, um, dog, uh, what's the movie with Al Pacino? Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon come out. Um, I want to say that was late 70s. 78? Yeah. Okay. It has it, ha- it has the cocaine craziness of a late seventies movie. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, my second film is Francis, starring oh, yeah. Jessica Lange as Francis Farmer. Uh, I don't think I've never seen this. Oh my god! For all of you kids who have only recently found out about Jessica Lange um, <laughs> as as Ryan Murphy's number one go to, she's been at it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Francis is. And also, if you're enjoying her on Feud, uh, she also plays an old Hollywood actress in this film. So Frances Farmer uh, was this starlet in the 30s uh, who was sort of very outspoken and very rebellious and, um, and, and did struggle with mental illness, had this very insane, domineering showbiz mother. And, um, and she, the, the urban legend mm, of... She ends up... Well, the urban legend of Frances Farmer is that she was lobotomized. Oh, um, and uh, and that, that she was because she was just too much trouble, you know, and as a woman, she was not permitted to be as much trouble as she was. And so she was lobotomized um, mm. to take the fight out of her. Um, yes. Uh, so and, you know, and that is I think that's that's been challenged quite a bit over the years, whether that actually happened to Francis Farmer. Like um, by a studio? Um, well, sort of like, you know, sort of a, a conspiratorium. Uh, if that's a word of uh, of like you know agents and family and mm. um, you know and, uh, uh, and like a, like a Kennedy like a Kennedy uh-huh. and you know and it, it it is you know it's sort of a girl interrupted type thing where like you know women were locked up and considered crazy for a very long time for very not good reasons mm-hmm. and so it's hard to say you know without modern diagnosis if she actually had serious mental problems or if she was just sort of a victim of circumstance but um but it is the most. This is the performance that first truly, fully, thrillingly established what Jessica Lange was capable of in dramatic context because she came up as a model. Mm. And then she was like eye candy in the late 70s King Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then in this movie, she just knocked him dead. She was nominated for Best Actress. Um, but that very same year, she won Best Supporting Actress for my third movie, which is Tootsie. <laughs> what a good year for you. A fine, fine year. 
Um, you know, and there was a lot of there was a lot of overlap. Um, <laughs> there were multiple movies about Tootsie's about a you see this is a, mm-hmm, a cross dresser. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Victor Victoria also came out that year. Really, uh, you know, which is a you know a musical, uh, and also that year such musicals as The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas came out. Annie came out that year. What a gay, gay year for films. So I feel very validated by this little deep dive I've just done <laughs> into the films that came out the year. And also this movie E.T. that came out in Blade Runner, Poltergeist, whatever. Yeah, there were a lot of big ones that came out in 82. Like uh, I think it was Empire Strikes Back, um, Friday the 13th. Oh, a lot of like really big, uh-uh. really big movies. Yeah, it's a fine year for movies and babies alike. Hmm. 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 Oh, nine to five. Came out in 1980 as well, oh, which I'm sure would have been oh. on your list. As if yeah, it probably would have. It would have been your list, but it wasn't. Hmm. <laughs> That's so, true. Now we know a little bit about ourselves and <laughs> yes. each other. Um, we did this in lieu of what's up with you because we have nothing this week, guys. No. Um, hopefully. Um, Next week we'll have lots of, of, of st- Rebecca stories from the drunk tank. Uh, after her her rowdy birthday bingo party on Saturday. On Saturday. Um, in the meantime, I guess we'll talk about movies. I, I mean, it's like... If we must. It's like that thing where, you know, the couple doesn't have anything to talk about anymore, so they just talk about, like, the dog in the room. Like, look what the dog's doing. Oh, did you see the dog? <laughs> what do you think his voice sounds like? <laughs> <laughs> I picture him sounding kind of like an old man. <laughs> is, this how, is this, like, how you're supposed to sound like Brian? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um... From the family guy. From the family guy. From the family guy. Movie number one this week. Uh, so first thing, these movies were all up for debate on Pick of the Week, I think. Um, and what, to varying degrees, but it, I think yeah. it crossed everyone's mind. I mean, and I say that having not seen the first one. <laughs> it crossed everyone's mind, but mine. But when you saw it, you came back so um, delighted. I thought it was going to be the Pick of the Week. But then the week continued. It's a strong week. I, yeah, the last two weeks. I'm a big fan of all three of these movies. Have been the last two weeks were kind of yeah last struggles. Little, yeah, we didn't have picks of the week. No, and now uh, now they're all fighting feast or famine, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this week we have movie number one, which is Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time. <laughs> I've just been wanting to say that for a long time. <laughs> Belle, a bright, beautiful, and independent young woman, is taken prisoner by a beast in his castle. Despite her fears, she befriends the castle's enchanted staff and learns to look beyond the beast's hideous exterior. Only then does she realize the kind heart and soul of the true prince within. Papa! Belle, you must leave here. This castle is alive. Who's there? Do you wish to take your father's place? Come into the light. Show me the girl. Look at her. What if she is the one? The one who'll break the spell. I'm glad we were able to um, really uh, tell, the, tell the story of what this movie is going to be about so that we can fill in for our listeners who are wondering, what is this Beauty and the Beast? What is it about? Right. Um, Things are just too complicated story-wise these mm-hmm. days. I understand. Um, I think the question that most people ask when they found out this movie was being made was, why? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What was wrong with the first one? What was wrong with the first one is, is it that going it came to be out over 10 years ago. And so it's no longer a cash cow. Or, or over five years ago, even, really, at this rate. The way we're going through Spider-Man's, am I right, ladies? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you. 
know, I get it. They're remaking movies. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> um, I mean, I felt like Disney always, like, they never left their stuff up for rent. You always had to, like, buy the big clamshell VHS tapes uh, and, like, the... They took so much room. It was so ostentatious, really, to have those clamshells. So big. Like, no one else was doing it. It was, like, the only video boxes that were that big were Disney movies and pornos. Right. So you couldn't subtly have either in your no, house as, like, no. in the early or you, Or you'd have to have, like, both. So you'd have, like, a consistent size. Yeah. Well, then you enter... Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's all you have. <laughs> exactly. Because you have lost everything else at that point. This fox and the hound and then hounding the fox. <laughs> hounding the fox. That, they're in alphabetical order, oddly enough. There are no G movies. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was in your house in college. <laughs> so why do you so you think it's just money? Well, yes. Um it is just money. Uh but you know, with that said, I think that there is something that is gained in a way by doing this in a, in a live action way, because I will say I did not know going into it to what extent it was just going to be like a live action version of the 1991 musical. Mm-hmm. It is exactly that. Um, and, and then when they start to get into like, you know, the bell song, the opening bell song, when she's walking around the village mm-hmm. and everything, I was like, well, wait, how are they going to do this? live action because like just thinking back on the on the animated film like there are so many cuts and there's like so much mm-hmm. I felt you could only do with animation and goddamn if they don't actually like translate it they really translate just the energy and excitement and magic of uh, of that musical number of, of everybody of- putting down a girl for being too bookish yeah exactly okay good I'm glad they were able to do that in real life oh yeah because you're definitely supposed to take their side <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, so, and that's another thing that they've done is um, Emma Watson, uh, who is, of course, is, is celebrated and renowned for her her very extensive and very sort of um, intense focus on on her responsibilities as a feminist uh, celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she really worked with them because she was like, "If I'm going to do this, I want to. F- you know, we need to change a few things about Belle." And, um, you know, so for instance, like not only does she read, but she's actively trying to teach other little girls in the village how to read as well, which makes Mm. her even more of a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, She, her outfit has been changed to become a bit more sort of like practical for a young girl living in this provincial French village. Okay. Um, You know, where like she has like, you know, she has bloomers and she's wearing boots. I thought you were going to say jorts. That's where you just picture Emma Watson wearing jorts, and you're like, "All right, I'll watch that." <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Go on. Uh, and uh, and then she also she is now she's sort of the inventor of her household. So in oh, the yeah, in the anime you know animated film, she was the assistant to her father, the inventor. Mm-hmm. And in this, you know, he's a creator, um, but you know, she's also a creator, and she makes things, and uh, and uh, and she just you know she has a lot of agency and autonomy. And, uh, you know, so they, they, they changed these things about the character to, so she could feel better about it. Uh, you know, with that said, and cause I was just reading, you know, this big profile of her in Vanity Fair and, um, and she was saying how, you know, she went to, she's, she's BFFs with Gloria Steinem and also Bell Hooks. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and she was saying how she, um, you know, she was like, I couldn't feel good about this unless I got Gloria's approval 
that it was okay and that it was good. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like just went to her beforehand and then took her to go see the premiere. And and she got, you know, she said, and Gloria did approve of it. Oh, good. Um, so it has the Steinem seal. Um, but here's the thing. With, <laughs> as much as they, you know, can make the character of Belle into more empowered. Um, and, you know, like she she is acting of her own agency and free will for, you know, the vast majority of the movie. And, you know, she chooses to take her father's place mm-hmm. in the Beast jail cell. And, um, you know, and she kind of, you know, maintains a very firm boundary with him mm-hmm. um, until she falls in love with him. With a giant dog. And, uh, right, with the buffalo. <laughs> uh, and, and that's where it still falls apart for me because it's yeah. still just Stockholm Syndrome. Right. It's still just Stockholm Syndrome. It's still, you know, a person being held in captivity who gradually mm-hmm. falls in love with their captor. Right. That There's a really easy word for that, and it's Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be confused with Munchausen Syndrome. And, uh, and she also, uh, you know, yeah, so she falls in love with him through Stockholm Syndrome. And I feel like as a lesson, you know, this, this, this story teaches little girls to you know, just see past like the ugly, boorish, violent, aggressive exterior of men. Right. And to try to understand like the sad, misunderstood little boy inside. Um, because, you know, this this tries to give the beast a bit more of a backstory that he, you know, like he, as, a, as a young boy, he was pulled away from his dying mother by his asshole father who kind of basically remade his son in his own image. And, you know, this is how he's become cursed because, you know, he wouldn't, uh, he was, you know, throwing these lavish parties and you know, and wouldn't help this beggar woman when she mm-hmm, showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, like, I'm not, I don't know what I would do if I was throwing a lavish party and a beggar woman came in. I would probably be like, please leave. And see what happened to you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know my origin story for how I, how I became this way. I, I didn't there want to ask directly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, how much self, how much unself awareness can I have? And here, I'm like, I mean, it's just not, I don't, I don't know if I buy it. And you're like, oh, he doesn't know. <laughs> How's Scott, he by does, the way? He does not know. <laughs> you holding in there? And literally, there is, is a flower. <laughs> there is a flower that petals of which have been dropping all day in the next room. <laughs> not even kidding. I've been scooping up goddamn petals all day long. Uh, meanwhile, Scott's locked in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and he still hasn't fallen in love with me. <laughs> We're not there yet. Not quite there. Uh, so, so the movie's not believable. <laughs> <laughs> would never happen in real life yeah that is an interesting uh, take on the net i mean inevitable you can't get around that part no, of the story it can't. is the uh you can't so i just it just still gives me pause and it's still you know in in the end she does still i mean she saves him you know she revives him with a kiss and you know that is a sort of a gender role switch but reading you know a lot of the coverage of like how they've reclaimed this character it just pisses me off that every time there's a Disney movie that we're like, this is not your average Disney princess. Guys, they haven't done the average Disney princess since, like, fucking Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. Like, they have been doing, like, plucky, spunky, unusual, like, you know, uh, independent uh, princesses forever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. somehow every time we're like, you know, she's not your average. No, she that is average now. That is the average. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a fantastic thing. It's great. great that that's the norm. But let's not fucking jerk it off every time to be like oh it's a special kind of prince no it's not a special kind of princess <laughs> this is what they've done interesting in, in, use of <laughs> phrases there go on <laughs> it's a real beastly way to put it wouldn't you say <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, so I just can't take this, you know, this like fawning over like, oh, it's a new kind of no. You know, they did find small ways to improve upon the way that Belle was already an independent-minded young mm-hmm, lady mm-hmm. Um, in the animated film, but it's not like a whole-scale reinvention because it didn't need a whole-scale reinvention. But this movie does something differently with um, the character, Josh Gad's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me a little bit about how, what you saw, what you expected, what happened, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. No, um, so, LeFou... This is this is something that's been you know it's been a, such a huge thing in the press for a, a few weeks now and it continues to be a huge thing in the press. So as you guys probably have heard, um, the decision was made. So this film was directed by Bill Condon, who is a queer uh, filmmaker, and uh, and it's uh, the screenplay has one of the credits is by um, Stephen Jabosky, who wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. So it has like its queer bona fides uh, going for it. And uh, so they've decided to make this character of LeFou on kind of a journey through the film where he realizes that he is gay. And, um, you know, in, in it's, it's not played super empoweringly for most of it because he mostly, you know, he, this is Gaston's henchman. Mm-hmm. And he mostly just like kind of like minces around Gaston and, you know, and like says disparaging things to ladies and just like bats his eyes wildly at Gaston and just throws himself at him and touches him. And, uh, you know, and I did see a lot of myself in it, I will admit, um, because he just there to like pump up Gaston's ego and, and narcissism and, uh, while Gaston's just oblivious. Uh, so, but then, uh, you know, at the end of the film, there is this exclusively gay moment as Bill Condon called it in, in, in one interview and has deeply regretted ever since, I think, because it's turned into such a thing. And those words have been used everywhere to describe mm. it, an exclusively gay moment. And it's, it's complicated the film's release um in you know, certain since, countries but and also in our own uh right right uh so and and that's you know the latest is now that you know malaysia said that they weren't going to they demand an edited cut of the film to release and disney was like fuck you right although disney i think did not say fuck you to china mm. <laughs> so they're basically picking which chinas they can say which uh you know which which countries they can say <laughs> fuck you to. Which which, they're picking which chinas <laughs> let's not let's not let's not kid ourselves they're all chinas uh, no. no, they're they're picking they're picking which countries uh, <laughs> they're picking which countries they can say no to at yes, this point. Yes. Um, they're like we're not gonna. That's you know, like yeah, we can pick a fight with Malaysia. We're safe, we're comfortable with that. Um, but you know, so it's 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 been blown up quite a bit. But going back to the day that I saw it, which was I think the day after this interview first started to circulate, where Condon had said this about Lafou, um, seeing this moment. Uh, that comes very late in the film. It's a very small moment. It's only a few seconds long, um, but it is it is a moment that affirms that you know LeFou is gay, and it's a sort of small um, flirtatious moment between him and another man, who we've also already established is gay because when he at one point is thrown into a lady's costume by a warring piece of furniture, uh, he makes this queenie sort of like well hey face, which again mm. a little regressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but then they kind of find each other on the dance floor and, you know, and, uh, that's how me and my captive Scott found each other. So, you know, it, it resonated with me somewhere. And, uh, and just to see, you know, and it's happening, it's during a huge party scene at the end of the film. And it, it just felt like a great way for Disney to be like the gays are welcome to the party now. And, mm. you know, and the, and the representation, um, that I think that young gay kids will see to have Disney, which of course is the biggest, most powerful, most influential name in family entertainment, mm-hmm. um, to have Disney affirm a gay character 
um, is, I think, very significant. Absolutely. And uh, so I am very grateful to the film. You know, could it have been done a different way? Sure. Everything could always be done a different way. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that this is true to the character of LeFou. Josh Gad is very good in the film. It's very, very funny. He's one of several. So Emma Watson is one of the only people in this movie who's like not a musical theater ringer. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, these this is a musical. All right. And we have Luke Evans. Luke Evans. Oh, my God. Luke Evans. I have never looked at him twice before. He is brilliant in this movie. Really? Brilliant. He is so fucking good. Like, I was in such joy watching him play Gaston. He plays Gaston so hilariously. And I had no idea that he, had, he even had a background singing. Mm-hmm. I came home and was asking Scott about him. And Scott somehow had a whole dossier on Luke Evans. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so Scott had like an entire bio ready to tell me about Luke Evans' life and pastimes and his, his sort of complicated public relationship with his sexuality. No, right. He's, he is he is openly gay, gay. But, well, he's not so openly anymore. Um, he kind anymore. Of, he kind of was openly gay and then he like booked a big project and then he kind of like stopped talking about it. Mm, interesting. Um, so... But he has come out in the past. Um, so he's at the very least retroactively gay. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and he is, he, I, I almost want to say like almost award worthy in this movie. He's that oh, wow. good. He just nails it. He has a, he has a fantastic singing voice. He knows exactly how to like strike musical theater poses and, and he just slays. He's so fucking good in this movie. And so watching him and Josh Gad do like duets together is delightful because Josh Gad, of course, was in the Book of Mormon mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, is a, is an acclaimed musical theater actor in his own right. So they're just fucking pros. And Emma Watson is not. Um, I would say that it seems like her vocals, which are very thin, seem to have been generously um, pitch corrected. Mm. But, you know, which is fine, whatever. Uh, most singers are. Uh, but, and she's, and she makes up for it, you know. So I'm just, she's not, she was not cast for her singing voice. Mm-hmm. Then and, they would have picked Emma Watson. <laughs> Emma Stone. Damn it. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, I'm trying to make a La La Land dig and I couldn't even get it right. I'm sure well, you're happy. Well, you know, allegedly Emma Watson, you know, was that role was developed for her. The role of Mia in, in La La Land was developed oh, really? for Emma Watson. And then she uh, uh, did not um, commit to it. Interesting. Yes. Uh, so it's supposed to be her and Miles Teller. That was the original cast oh. of La La Land. I know. That would oh. have been. <laughs> what are you saying? Are you, are you implying that Miles Teller and Ryan Gosling are not like a one-to-one match in looks and charisma? No. I don't know what you're laughing at. That would have been a different movie. <laughs> Can you even imagine Miles Teller and Emma Watson having a conversation, let alone romancing each other? No. They are not from the same planet. No, I feel like... like um, Ryan Gosling's like sort of annoying abrasive character is endearing because he's so handsome and seems so sweet. Well, where Miles Teller you just want to you just punch, punch him in the face. <laughs> Imagine him making you listen about jazz. Oh my god! Well, we did. <laughs> There's a whole other movie, right? Um, but even the first scene when he's like in the car and he's like on the horn, beeping, oh yeah, you've been like, oh, what an asshole! Fuck that guy, and then yeah. he like left. <laughs> Right, anyway, yeah. Gosling has a thing where no matter how dickish he asks, he just has such an abiding charm. Mm-hmm. You're just like, no, he's not serious, though. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Emma Watson, yeah, was attached to La La Land, and now she's made Beauty and the Beast instead. And uh, But she just has such... This is her biggest movie star outing to date as a leading woman. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Because, you know, she has she's been... She's really taken the Winslet path post-Blockbuster, um, Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she, of course, had the Potter films. And then after that, she, you know, sort of like Winslet post-Titanic, um, 
she has been taking just really unexpected smaller films like and she's been great in all of them like the bling ring holy shit mm-hmm. is she hilarious in the bling ring um and the perks of being wallflower to bring that up again it's which, interesting i guess having sort of that potter money you kind of you can, can do make anything your you want career or whatever you want it absolutely to be. You and that's what she's been at doing the, uh, at the whim of of need yeah yeah no she can she can make any movie she wants she can have any kind of career kind of like anyone who's who was on friends <laughs> or anyone who was on seinfeld there are certain yeah. people in the world who never need to worry <laughs> and yeah you know, daniel, daniel gunther gunther, gunther is fucking rolling in it <laughs> you know daniel radcliffe doesn't have to worry uh you know and we but get like, to a sorry man yeah exactly <laughs> you know that's why he plays a farting corpse <laughs> Because uh, he's like, what am I going to do? Lose money? Not possible. You know, so. <laughs> Two. So, you know, so Emma Watson is in the same boat. And, um, you know, so she's made these really interesting little films. And that's why I thought it was interesting that she chose Beauty and the Beast for her big return to, like, leading a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, so it is still, however complicated it is with the actual, like, legacy of what this movie is about. And what it could mean for, you know, as a, a lesson to little girls and... But, you know, but it's, it's, I think the good ultimately outweighs the bad. Um, And I think that, I mean, because romance is, romance is always problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) You know, because I mean, I feel like I'm going to keep trying to apply this sort of like egalitarian power reading to it. And, but like in romance, there's always like, it's, it's always, you know, there's not really such a thing as like an empowering romance necessarily, you Mm. know, like. So it's kind of hard to, you know, go full, um, you know, strict principled reading to a romance because like with a romance, it always, it's like, it's always going to be a little like, you know, it's always like people kind of basically deciding to like make themselves, uh, you know, to like put someone above themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're like, is that what I'm supposed to do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not clear huh. on this. Huh. You can dig a little deeper about that. <laughs> Let me see that pen. <laughs> Go on. Oh yeah. Um. So, uh, but yeah, and in the gain is by the way is not limited to Lafu, um, because the movie opens with this very extract. <laughs> it opens with hardcore butt fucking. <laughs> it's weird that no one's talked about it. It's uh, it chips over I mean, eighteen really, in this movie. And right. it is... <laughs> Chip is the most like cock hungry twink you've ever. Oh my god. <laughs> You know, I thought I was taking it far. <laughs> and I appreciate you took it further. Um, but, uh, no, it opens with this, you know, this this, this scene of... Uh, so the Beast is played by Dan Stevens, who is currently mm. doing very well for himself on Legion. And Dan Stevens has emerged as one of the world's most beautiful men. And, and I always thought he was beautiful, but then recently, like, on Downton. But then recently, like... Um, our mutual friend Beth Dean started texting me while she was watching Legion, as she tends to do when she's watching most TV shows. And she was like, she's like, um, so when did Cousin Matthew get so hot? I'm like, Cousin Matthew was always hot. And she's like, no, he was fat. I'm like, he was never fat. And then she just like produced like 50 pictures of him looking like a complete tubbo on Downton Abbey. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't remember really him ever time? looking tubby. He um, was in convalescence from the war. <laughs> But then, you know, I mean, he certainly, I'm like, he certainly has lost weight, but I never remember him looking fat. And she's like, well, pictures don't lie. And, uh, and all these pictures of him looking really, really fat on that show. But so point being, you know, he, he by the time he made the movie The Guest, 
he had got lost a ton of weight and was and is now just this beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous man. Even though we don't see him for most of the movie, mm-hmm. when we do first see him, he is uh, he is still in his you know sort of human male body as a, as the prince, and he is having all of this like makeup applied. I was like glittering Bowie esque eye makeup applied for his party. And then he like goes downstairs and into the, you know, when it's like dancing in the ballroom, Audra McDonald is singing nearby. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like this is already plenty gay. Um, and then that homeless woman comes in and he acts like a real bitch to her. So, um, you know, it was really, it was, it was plenty queenie long before LeFou came bumbling under the screen. So let's just get that straight. So that said, what are you going to give this, this gay soiree? I'm going to give it a children's I'm going to give it a binge it. I really enjoyed this movie. I think that it really, uh, it does manage to capture the, uh, the magic and joy of the original Disney musical, which was. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, it was the thing that made, you know, the, the golden age of Disney that we mm, point to mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, as great as A Little Mermaid was, and it was great, Beauty and the Beast was, I believe, the first ever animated film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Mm. Wasn't it the first one that used computer animation, too? Like, when they do that dance? Oh, yeah, when they do the dance. The, and the, mm-hmm. the sky is Yeah, I remember in. seeing, like, yeah, EP. Computers? Like, yeah, what? There's still, like, a bunch of people, like, <laughs> like laboring over a drawing, like, every scene, but then they're, like, one person with, like, a mouse, and it's like, a computer <laughs> made this... Yeah, okay. One scene. I'm like, what about the rest of the movie? I'm very confused about this world we live in. <laughs> uh, so you know, so Beauty and the Beast was a benchmark, uh, and I think this 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 movie does it very proud, and also one ups itself um, with some great uh, diversity and inclusion and stuff. Awesome, and it's uh, rated PG for some action, violence, peril, and frightening images, mm-hmm. uh, which we warned you about at the beginning. <laughs> Poor Chip. Um, <laughs> next movie is uh, a bit different. Uh, it's called Raw. Strict vegetarian Justine encounters a decadent, merciless, and dangerously seductive world during her first week at veterinary school. Desperate to fit in, she strays from her principles and eats raw meat for the first time. The young woman soon experiences terrible and unexpected consequences as her true self begins to emerge. So this movie is a French film uh, and it has uh, no trailer in English for us to share. Right, even though I think as we realize the trailer has no language at all because right. it's trying to sneak it past you that it's in French. <laughs> it's nice not. try, raw. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. We're France. here to bust you. Call um, you out. Yeah, it's just a series of graphic images, that trailer. Um, mm. When Jason and I went to go see the movie, they gave us promotional barf bags, branded barf bags. Yeah, they're being a little extra on this one, um, which is because there was a lot of press from this movie playing at certain film festivals and there were reports that people were like passing out and this happened at um tiff uh there were reports from some screening of it because i went and saw it at a at a press and industry screening so i didn't go to one of the big public screenings and i believe it was at a public one that somebody allegedly like passed out i'm just picturing some like i don't know old lady Uh, mm. somebody easily, easily like, what? Right, you know, like, yeah. I thought this is about Alice Waters and raw food. <laughs> um, <laughs> they said a vegetarian. I don't know. Right. God damn it. Um, um, it's like, I need to start reading these programs more closely. <laughs> it does seem like something that would have happened like a hundred years ago. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and I will say that, you know, uh, I was hoping that Rebecca would throw up. I was really wow. hoping that wow. she would, um, because that day, She'd been texting me earlier in the day, letting mm-hmm. me know that she was having an upset stomach. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no. 
And then she let me know that she was feeling better and that she could make it. I'm like, oh, good. And I was like, oh, she's going to throw up for sure. <laughs> did I warn her? I did not. And then we went to go see this at Alamo where I was, by the time I got to the movie, I felt much better. And I was like, oh, sweet. I can order food. I'm going to order a meal. And I ate food. And I had the barf bag. <laughs> and I, and I, I just like, sat oh, there watching God. her go. And I was like, this is not going to work out well for her. <laughs> for me, it's going to work out beautifully. Because guys, as you might remember, Rebecca is easily triggered by vomiting. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that she would vomit and then vomit again at that. And it was just going to be a loop. Yeah, I was a really. Loop. Would it was, come out? 100 I was pounds? really hoping for that, and then we would become famous because I was, you know, my podcast co-host was the one who had the vomiting loop uh, <laughs> at the walk out of there looking like Dan Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> so svelte. And then Beth Dina sent me old pictures of you. Like, look, look how she used to look. <laughs> um, yeah, I. So this movie has two uh, triggers. My two triggers, which are <laughs> vomiting um, and uh, animal. Uh, uncomfortable animal scenes mm-hmm. um, but I don't know maybe I've just been forced to watch so much of both of those things over the last year but I, I <laughs> might either be over my trigger well no the vomiting one was pretty intense Rebecca has no feelings left from her time working with me on this show I really just <laughs> totally drained me worn her down to a nub really I'm just a nub with eyes and <laughs> uh, to still see the film but enough about that boardwalk caricature yourself you had done <laughs> my teeth aren't that big <laughs> are they um but yeah i don't know they the some i don't know either i was prepared for this but the animal scenes didn't really get to me um there is one extended human hairball scene that is one of the grossest things i've seen in a movie for sure um but yeah so this movie is you know um it's uh, marketed as they've really doubled down on the gross out weirdness of it. Mm-hmm. Did you find it particularly, um, I don't know, disturbing in that way? Well, there's one scene in particular that the first time that I saw it, and uh, and we were kind of going over this after the film. Oh, the there, chicken winging. The, the chicken winging. There's a centerpiece scene that really sort of just like ups the ante um, over the course of maybe five minutes. Um, and the thing that the money shot, it all leads up to it did make me feel, I found myself unaccountably feeling somewhat woozy in my seat mm. when I first saw this. Like, I was like, oh, oh I, feel, I feel a little lightheaded watching this right now. Um, but no, I don't think that it is particularly uh, uh, gory. I think that it's really, what it does very well is it has a, a psychological uh, um, approach to the way it reveals its character. Because it's very much, this is a coming of age story. You know, this is a character mm-hmm. study. And the way that it builds up the tension is sort of through making this 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 main character, uh, this this young this young woman who's who's gone off to veterinary school, um, which is a funny thing in this movie uh, because it depicts this world in which a French veterinary school has the most apocalyptic rush week you will ever see. Yeah, it's like UC Santa Barbara or something. You would think this is like <laughs> Florida State. Yeah, it's like Arizona State. Come on, Arizona State. Uh, Florida doesn't have a college. Let's not get ourselves there either. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's it's this really intense. Like you would think, you feel like you're watching Spring Breakers, basically, mm-hmm. um, while you're watching all these ridiculous partying scenes. And I'm going to assume that this is made up for the purposes of the film and for the metaphor of the film. You don't think that that's a big party scene in a rural imagine. France? I just can't. I can't imagine a big party scene in like a rural French veterinary school. I, the only reason I could kind of see it is that like if you are going to take young people. 
and put them into the grotesque world of the veterinary sciences, then like you, they need to have like a, an extremely large release valve, and it's this like super rager um, mm, culture. Off. Yeah, yeah. Because I will say that it is like saying that you want to be a vet. We all know the kind of people who say that, right? It's the people. It's one of two people. I love animals, and then you leave as soon as you realize what you have to do, and then um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then people who have the follow through um, yes, to do it. People with gumption. Uh, yeah, people with yeah, people with moxie. Uh, but I mean, like, it's one of those like I'll be frank. It's like one of those dumb people things. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's where you were going. Yes. Oh, dumb, okay. Yes. You know, like when they're like, oh, I want to, I want to be a vet because I like animals. <laughs> uh, this is this is not something that the most bright people usually say. R- really? Um, the people who see it through. Because I trust my animals in the hands of what I assume are doctors, I- but for animals. <laughs> <laughs> what I have assumed and I have never had confirmed for me. Uh, you know, now apparently they're all cannibals. I don't know what's going on. It's very alarming. No, no. It's one of those things where, yeah, like, it's like, yeah, I'm really like animals, so I think I'm going to go to school like be an animal actor. It's, this, is, this is how I picture most people who go away to vet school. And I think those people don't graduate. Um, but I'm saying uh, that most people who start off. So to go with what you're saying about, like, you have to, like, go through this rush week to shake off all, like, the dead wood. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that would make sense, I think. You know, it's like that. And people who stay like, I want to be a teacher. It's like, okay. Uh, yes, I lump them in together, too. Um, it's all those people that like, want to do good. I used to be a nanny, so I'm going to be a teacher. No, no, you won't. Um, so with that all said, uh, you know, this movie is... You know, it's a coming of age story and we have this young woman and and she is sort of like just she's really hapless. And the movie has it's a lot of sort of dark comedy out of all the many ways that things just go wrong for her during this first mm-hmm. week. It's almost it's almost like young Liz Lemon-esque um, <laughs> at times how badly these things go right down to the fact that she develops an extremely inconvenient case of cannibalism. Yep. Uh, during this uh, this first week at school, um, which is uh, exacerbated by. Her older sister, who I guess is only supposed to be one year older than her, looks yeah, looks, was... looks ten years older if she's a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh... <laughs> you and your little folksy sayings always get me. Um, yeah, and they're they're two different older sisters. You know, party time, mm-hmm. um, fun time around campus. And was the... she meant to be a lesbian? Do you think? No, because she was like hanging with the girls at that party, and she's never really with a guy. I mean, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get get that from the story, but you didn't um... get that from her hair. <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just thought she was just another hipster veterinarian and this yeah. other friends. We've all heard the story before. You know before. what I mean? Um, <laughs> and their sisters basically, yeah, doesn't know how to navigate uh, social worlds or um, school, really. Uh, but she's supposed to be, so their parents are veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a long family history. They've been raised very strict, extremely strict vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the sister, the sister that we follow um, is... What are these characters' names? Uh, Justine. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Justine. Yeah, is supposed to be really is, is the, she's the shining sister. star, um, the yeah, smart she, one. Yeah, she's she's mommy's favorite, um, and uh, and we see um, just how militant the parents are at the very beginning of the film as they take Justine out for lunch, and she uh, has this very very sad lunch of just like mashed potatoes. Yeah, and is kind of you know laughed at by the by the food lady <laughs> like no protein, and she's like no. And then she finds a little nub of sausage in it, and the mother hits the fucking roof. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a very, very strict household. And then she goes to college, and she goes nuts. Um, you know, so it's not super difficult to see the allegory that's being, you know, made here in the story of the ways that 
it's always the sheltered kids who go craziest when they go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, but really, I think that it's about the the danger of of repression and mm-hmm. of uh, of trying to suppress and deny our full humanity, including its darker parts. Which is weird because you would think in France, you know, they let you drink when you're younger. You would mm-hmm. think they also let you taste human flesh and the other things to so make sure you don't get out of control. I'm pretty sure it's a permissive culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they're just, you know, you know how French parents are about cannibalism. Like, I'd rather you do it in the house. Exactly. Uh, so they can see what's happening because they want to, they just want to be involved in your life. Um, but... So, uh, and I think, you know, the film does work as a very sort of powerful allegory about that. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's, to me, it was mainly comic. It's mainly sort of a comic story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some great characters. Uh, Justine's roommate is this gorgeous gay dude. Um, <laughs> and they have a very interesting dynamic that sort of springs up between them. And the movie is beautifully shot. It definitely has kind of a mounting sense of tension just because you're like okay this is clearly not going to go anywhere good Mm -hmm. uh you know like where is this where is this ultimately taking us um a friend was saying so this screened the same night as personal shopper which we both also watched and were able to get an online review link for and a friend of mine said she wanted to see personal shopper instead of raw because as she said i don't like horror movies but now mm. having watched them both mm-hmm. personal shopper is the scarier one yes like, absolutely by far yes definitely Ra- Ra isn't even scary it's just gory and it's disturbing it's disturbing it's disturbing that's gory it has pictures of like you know compromise animals in compromising positions uh people <laughs> thinking eating... back to chip <laughs> <laughs> people eating you know each other's flesh um a lot a lot a lot of blood Mm-hmm. Um, both animal and human alike. And then just like a lot of things that are, you know, the hairball scene we mentioned, a point where she gets a really gnarly rash that they show pretty graphically. Mm-hmm. But nothing It has gross out. It scary. wants to gross you out. Yeah, it wants to gross you out. Yeah, it but wants it to gross scary. you out. It's not scary for even a second. Um, and, um, you know, the whole thing just feels like a darkly comic parable allegory. Um, and I think on those grounds, it works Palagory. very well. Palagory, if you will. A paragory. And uh, the young actress who plays Justine is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. She nails it. We we feel like we completely know who this girl is. Mm-hmm. She looks a lot like Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, um, which might lend itself even further to you feeling like you recognize her if you watch that show, because you will think you do recognize her. Um, the actress who plays the older sister is great. Um, this is the feature debut um, of, a, of a young French filmmaker named uh, Julia Ducourneau. And uh, and what a debut! I mm-hmm. mean, like this is talk about a, a great, a firm point of view, uh, uh, and uh, just as a calling card, everyone's going to want to see what she does next after this. Yeah. Um. So I would say that, you know, if you've been paying attention to the marketing, you know, maybe dial down a little bit because it is not like the giant gore fest. It's not like the puke your brains out gore fest. It's not a fucking like Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. You know, it's not like this like old timey midnight splatter fest <laughs> at all. You know, like it's a really thoughtful kind of sensitive movie. It's French for fuck's sake. Um, but uh, but it, it's it's still really good. Um, You're giving it a binge it, huh? I am. What are you giving it? I'm giving it a consume plus. Okay. Um, I just, I, even though it is not that bad, I do feel like there are people that this won't be for them. Um, for sure. So with that said, I would say consume plus, but if you are into this sort of thing, if you're not easily bothered, you'll definitely have a really fun time. Uh, definitely check it out. It is our pick of the week. Oh, right. It is the pick of the week. Um, and it's rated R obviously for, um, bloody and grisly images. 
sexuality, nudity, language, drug use, partying. Um, and that brings us to movie number three, which is Personal Shopper. Grieving the recent death of her twin brother, Maureen investigates his parents' home, determined to make contact with him. Along the way, she meets other ghostly creatures in an attempt to resolve loose ends. I'm a personal shopper. So that's what she is. Yep. Um, it's a really quick trailer. <laughs> it's a very it's a very opaque movie. It doesn't want you to know too much going into it. It really doesn't. Having watched the trailer now after seeing the movie, it really only talks about how much she is a personal shopper mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for uh, what looks like a very wealthy actress model type. Yes. Um, but the movie is about so much more than that. Yes. Um, she. We have Kristen Stewart with mm-hmm. uh, Olivier Asinus. Asayus. Asayus? I think it's just Asayus. Asayus. Because it's like A-S at the end. Asayus. Olivier Asayus, who previously directed her in... Asayus. That's what it is. <laughs> Asayus. Asayus. Okay. Asayus? Indeed. Asay no. <laughs> hey! Send it back. That's it. <laughs> and you guys hear a gunshot and then <laughs> no more episodes. <laughs> Sorry about that abrupt ending. Um, so Olivier Assayas, uh, the great French filmmaker who, um, previously worked with Kristen Stewart on Clouds of Sils Maria. Which uh, I recently watched. Yes. What did you think of it? loved. Mm. Really enjoyed that movie. Um, for a couple of reasons. Watching Julia Binoche's, uh, slow decline into lesbian fashion, <laughs> midlife lesbian fashion, was amazing. We've all, it was like, it was Every- like watching a time-lapse video of yourself. <laughs> It's like that's like when Facebook makes that video of you for like you've been yes, friends with someone for a couple of years. Like, oh no, what's become of me? My pants keep getting wider and wider. <laughs> she is, it's really, it's every scene. You're just like, okay, now she's wearing like a tech vest. What's happening? <laughs> Her hair gets more short, but like in a less fashionable way. <laughs> I know. And then before you know it, she's dancing at swagger like that. And you're like, what has even become of this lady? But so, uh, and then what do you think of, of Kristen Stewart? And what do you generally think of Kristen Stewart as an actor? Um, I think that Kristen Stewart is always playing a lesbian. <laughs> um, you mean that she cannot pass? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that she, you know, she has a style and it's hard to sort of, she's like the, uh, if, if Adam Driver's at one end of it, Kristen Stewart's at the other end of it in terms of like, um, com- like just really not very there um pretty you know the, i feel like the movie kind of moves around her and her presence isn't very strong mm, mm-hmm. um she doesn't do much she doesn't do much hmm. um okay you think she does a lot well i mean she's been getting so many like rapturous think pieces like i've seen like multiple with the exact same headline which is like we need to accept that Kristen stewart is a great actress or something like that basically like let's stop this narrative that was born out of just general, you know, just hatred of the Twilight movies. Hmm. Um, since she sort of came to represent those movies as their star. And so people were like, oh, well, she's awful because she was in that awful movie. Um, I always thought of her as being a great actress. Like even when she made her debut in Panic Room, mm. you know, I was like, oh, this is a very intense young actress who is obviously a lesbian. It's fantastic. <laughs> I uh, just, I feel like lately, or, I mean, the, you know, the past few movies I've seen have just been... You know, she reminds me of a certain type of lesbian, you know, that very L.A. kind of too mm-hmm. cool for school lesbian that... Um... Are you projecting? <laughs> they're, like, they're always mean to me. <laughs> don't invite me to their I'm parties. I'm not projecting. I'm exactly When they come to town, my case. friends don't call me anymore. <laughs> 
It's exactly the case. And I, I've never been one for them. So... <laughs> I've never been one for them. Uh, But anyway, I really enjoyed her in the uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. I thought it was for sure her chemistry with Julie Benoit was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, She really, I feel like that was a perfect role because it was, her character had a very strong purpose um, that wasn't most times like very emotional, especially at the Mm -hmm. beginning until the the sort of chemistry worked itself into a natural chemistry. Um, And, you know, that movie is a lot different from this movie because you have... Um, just these, you, it's almost like a play. I mean, it's, it's about a play mm-hmm. um, and it, it feels like a play and that it's just, you know, these two characters mm-hmm. um, like unraveling and you learn more and more about them through their conversation um, and as they learn more about each other. And here you kind of have a woman pretty much flying solo and then sort of all of this kind of stuff going around, on the around, around her in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was expecting something completely different. I was expecting the story of a personal shopper. Uh, I mean, I don't know why. That's what they gave you to work with. She does do a lot of personal shopping in this she movie, does. though. She does. Um, which is like, you know, what her life is. She's in Paris. Um, <clears throat> her brother lived there. He recently passed away. Her twin brother, mm-hmm. with whom she was very close and with whom she shares... Being a medium. I was going to say a heart defect, but... Yes, and <laughs> that also as that. Well. <clears throat> yes, they're both mediums, and they both had heart defects. And they had an agreement that whichever of the two of them passed first... Uh, would send a signal to the other from the other side. And that's why she is sticking around Paris, why she's haunting Paris, um, because she just keeps spending time in her brother's home waiting for that signal. And she's obsessed with finding the signal um, from her brother. And um, and I think that, you know, I think it's a great role. I think that um, I was reading an interview with Asayas today, and he was saying that, you know, he wrote what he thinks of her role in Sils Maria as being a very one-dimensional role, and um, that he brought, you know, and he was amazed by how much she brought to it, and so, because he's like, I wrote that film for Juliette Binoche, mm-hmm. um, he's like, so I wanted to do one for Kristen, um, that kind of did justice to her range of talent, and um, so he made this film um, as entirely as a vehicle for her, having become just smitten with her talent. Um, in Sils Maria. And I think that she is a very, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a great actress. Um, she's not the most, to your point, she's not the most, uh, chameleonic, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. actress, but I think that, you know, she has a naturalness and an authenticity and a presence when she is on screen. Mm. And like, I think that she's always like, she, you won't catch her giving like a false moment, you know, like mm-hmm. she, I think she's very, mm-hmm. very, very genuine. And, um, and I think that this is, you know, this is a great role for her because it is, you know, she is, it's a very chic ghost story, basically. It's a very mm-hmm. chic, elegant ghost story. And, you know, and she is, of course, you know, the fashion muse for many a fashion house. And uh, so it's kind of funny to see her once again as sort of an assistant mm-hmm. role going out there and getting all these, these looks that she herself in real life would be having thrown at her. And then to have all these different people trying to make her wear them because they just want to see what she looks like in them. Um, but, you know, it's a... SIS's films are very rarely sort of like black and white, mm. A plus B equals C. So there's, you know, there's there's different threads this film, and it, it kind of it holds a tension in the middle between these two threads. Where on the one hand, we have this ghost story of Maureen trying to find, you know, establish contact with her brother. And on the other side, we have this storyline about her, her actual job and this woman that she works for and this is a story that takes a surprisingly violent turn, and uh, and so we have these two ends of this 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 spectrum, and she's kind of in the middle of it. 
And the movie holds that middle ground. Like, it doesn't really give any easy uh, answers about, like, what you should think about what's just happened once it's all over. Like, it's definitely mm-hmm. one to debate. Uh, you know, it ends with not... It certainly doesn't end with, like... It ends with more resolution than I thought it would, if I'm being honest. I thought, yeah, like, I thought, I thought it was going to end a lot more abruptly. So than did it I. Did. Because I'd had people tell me, going back to TIFF, people who'd seen it can, being like, oh, God. You know, like, just, you know, you're watching this whole movie, and you're like, oh, this is cool, I'm really into this. And then the end ruins it. Hmm. And um, and I didn't think the end ruined it at all. Um, you know, like, I felt that there was... Like, watching it this first time, I feel like this is a movie that when every time you watch it, you'll probably have a different experience of yeah, it. Yeah, I was just thinking about whether or not I would watch it again. It, sort of immediately, I was thinking, I want to watch it again. But mm-hmm. then part of me thinks it might be kind of a foolish endeavor, like, that I won't actually get anything else out of it um, mm. than I will the first time. Like, I'm, I'm expecting to know more and try to be able to, like, connect dots that aren't actually there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're there, though. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, like, I think with, with any film we have to trust that the director has done everything on purpose. You know, that there's nothing that's not on purpose. And so, sure. you know, and so we're watching it to find those things, those intentions um, of what they wanted it, you know, what they want it to be, what they, uh, you know, and, and to not always think that once we see those things that it will lead to a very obvious message or point. Right. It's not, I mean, it's not like you're going to watch Mulholland Drive again and like right. figure it out. Exactly. Like, not that not that it wasn't the director's intention, but that yeah. the intention was mm-hmm. um, obtuse. Did you think this was lynching at all? Um, there were moments when I thought it was a little... Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but but there were some of the way that they rendered the scenes of, of, of ghosts mm-hmm. made it seem not. Um, right, it, yeah, it's hard to imagine. And a little Lynch bit more into that. the Ghostbusters territory and a little bit further away from uh, Lynch territory. Um, she does say the word ectoplasmic slime. <laughs> that really throws me off. That <laughs> definitely took me out of the movie for a moment. I mean, that's. I mean, she said it with a straight face. She uh, did. So, how, you know, and here we are questioning whether or not she's a great actress. <laughs> All I could picture was... Um, uh, Kate McKinnon, like just flying into the scene, kicking the door down, and then oh. them, them making out. Oh, what I wouldn't have given a little to see Totino that scene. <laughs> I will say that the thing that still bugs me about Kristen Stewart as an actress is her tics. Mm. It's a tics, not tits, uh, for the record. Although those are in this movie plenty. They are mm-hmm. plenty. Um, I mean, it's a doctor scene. Yeah. Well, and then also like. Oh right. Yeah. Um, but you know, non-sexual, non-sexual nudity. Um, but, uh, but no, she has that, you know, the Kristen Stewart thing of being like, <laughs> you know, like she'll say a line then she'll kind of do this like little, like, <sighs> you know, mm-hmm. she makes these little like exhales, these little like, just, you know, like these, these quick little like sigh exhales. Like, I mean, <sighs> you know, these like little, like, uh, sort of, I don't even know how else to describe them. You know, we all know what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah. About. Um, you can please stop doing it. <laughs> stop. Can you please stop? that's enough <laughs> so um she still does those in this movie because it's her and that's just you know that's just what she does um and um you know which is well, you know it's it just it's almost like it's almost like a tattoo that you can't ever cover up <laughs> it's like no matter what you always like she will always be doing that and you will always be like oh yeah there's Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewarting um but with that said I do think this is a really great performance this is a movie that it's sort of like a this is one of those movies that it's best to sort of engage on an experiential level and to just sort of let it happen mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Because I like, I was surprised how much this movie impacted me sort of emotionally. Interesting. Um, and, you know, and not just, you know, not meaning like in the fact that I was moved, but, you know, I, there was that, but also scared. I was scared. Yeah, same. By the end of this movie. I was like legit scared. I was like, and I watched it in the middle of the day and I was still walking around like spooked. Yeah, like, there's it, one scene it gets in under particular. 
where there's sort of an, there's yeah. an apparition yes. when she's in the yeah. backyard. Right. Yes. I, yeah. That was, oh my God. That, that was That really scary. got me. I had, I, I was know. on the couch and I was like, look, look. Yeah. Uh, it really, really got me. This movie in Raw, I think, have that in common where they, they are able to establish the way they build, the way each of them build and, and envelop you. And then they're both really masterful about pulling you in and like knowing when you're at a certain point mm-hmm. and then doing something that on its own, on its face value, wouldn't have the same impact if they hadn't done this expert work, like laying this foundation for where you are in the movie and where you are with these characters. Uh, So yeah, it really, yeah, it really impacted me. And I I do look forward to seeing it again. The the part with the the ectoplasm, Mm -hmm. the slime, I feel like that whole scene could go. Um, That part... I don't know. It didn't. It didn't. That one was less in order with the rest of the story. Um, it didn't make sense in the way that like apparitions appear then and then other times. It didn't. wasn't Didn't really play into anything. Mm-hmm. It was confusing in, in terms of like where it happened and what it was supposed to mean. So without as as again as um, opaque as I'm being because I don't want to give too much away. Um, I felt like that could have been cut um, to the movie's benefit. Right. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I, I, that scene did. It was somewhat jarring because it was such like a more conventional ghost scene. Mm-hmm. It was scary. I was uh, very scared during yeah, that as well. Yeah, it but it was, also felt unnecessary. You know, I think that I think it does. I think it does work in the big picture of the movie where it's sort of about would the role that she's playing in sort of manifesting these things that are plaguing her. So mm. you know, and I think that you know, with her gifts as a medium, you know, like she has a certain responsibility to you know not invite certain spirits and presences that could be destructive i'm on a me- all, both physically and metaphysically I'm, am i right i am on a medium kick this week because i was listening to the most recent episode of rupaul's what's the tea podcast and they had on tyler henry the hollywood medium oh. as a guest and i feel like he made a believer out of me in just this episode you're looking at me like you simple rube tell me again about people who go to veterinary school <laughs> Well, maybe they went to the wrong medium. Is I don't know, but no. Like until you listen to this episode, I'm telling you, like this guy really just I don't know. I was like I'm believing what he's saying, so I was really I've I was already had mediums on the brain whenever I was watching this movie, and so I think normally I would have been like mediums, okay, but they were I was like mediums, sure. <laughs> Man, do I have a weight loss shake to sell you? <laughs> um. I'm so you're giving that. this a binge it? Yeah, binge it. Uh, this is a uh, yeah. This this uh, what embarrassment of riches. I feel like we've really had this week with these three movies. Um, and you know, not not a one of them is for everyone. Yeah, that's true. Um, There's definitely a, 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 a and I think buffet there, of options here. And there are people for whom none of them will be for. And those people, as always, are straight men. <laughs> <laughs> well, Logan's still out, I guess. Um, <laughs> I could see straight men liking personal shopper. I, I can't. I mean, like, personal shopper is definitely super artsy, guys. If you're not, if you, if you, if it wasn't clear from anything we were saying, it's super artsy. Um, I think, I think Raw has the best chance of being enjoyed by straight men, honestly. I mean, I don't want to make broad generalizations about uh, certain gender sexuality. Oh, straight men, they're, they're, they're shelled. But, Let's shield uh... them from our, <laughs> they, they can't take it. No, I think, I think personal shopper would be okay. I don't, I, I think it's artsy, but it's not. I don't know. It's, it's relatable. Most of it's in English. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I guess when I say when I say, when I say I'm not saying the straight man can't enjoy an artsy movie. I'm just saying that it's like it's not accessible. 
Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's it, of the three movies, it's the least accessible and it's the mm-hmm. most sort of trying of patience. I had a friend see it out of the blue in LA a few days ago and text me and be like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's just go into it knowing that it is of the three. It, this, it, it's a, it is an art film, but it, it is a rewarding art film. It's a beautifully done art film. Uh, I'm going to give it somewhere between a binge minus and a consume plus. Okay, so this is actually your favorite film of the week? Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast. Right. Yet, so I don't think it would. Fair. It probably wouldn't top it. Uh, but Personal Shopper is rated R for some language, sexuality, nudity, and bloody violent images. Uh, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you get a chance on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Jason is at Excess Faggage. I'm at Fight Balance, and um, we've been putting stuff on putting stuff up on Facebook. Uh, it's just slash the Binge Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.